Good morning, and once again, we want to wish a happy Mother's Day to all of the uh, mothers in our audience. As you leave this morning, we'll have a, a small gift for you, uh, very small in comparison with all the, the things that you do <coughs> as a mother, but uh, just a way of saying, <coughs> excuse me, saying thank you and how much we appreciate you. Of course, your big gift today was the new space out front, right? <laughs> Uh, getting to come in and see that. You know, I've, I've been debating in my mind, what are we going to call that? Somebody called it a lobby. That sounds like a bank or a hotel. And I thought, well, a foyer. And then I thought, no, it's a little too, too nice for that. That is a foyer. <laughs> so we, we, have to, we have to be precise here about this. This is a, a foyer. But um, uh, when uh, he does the announcements, Chris is going to express our gratitude to the the individuals specifically who made that happen. And there were several, and we're so grateful to, uh, to all of them. Uh, but we are thankful that you are here today and to take part in this worship and in the, uh, the concluding lesson of our series on marriage. The text that we're looking at today that you heard read just a moment ago is, I think, very appropriate for Mother's Day in, in two different ways. Number one, it celebrates the ideal of the good wife and the good mother. But the other is, it originated with a mother. If you go back up to chapter 31 in verse 1, uh, it says this is an oracle. These are the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. So these are the words of a wise woman of Israel giving instruction to her son, probably to teach him how to go about finding, choosing uh, a good wife. We don't know anything about King Lemuel, don't know anything about his mom, but we are indeed grateful that he has recorded these words and passed them on to us. There are three things about this text that show us how important it is. One thing is, if you read through the book of Proverbs, you'll find that there are very few extended discussions in it. Mostly you have one-line statements, uh, these one-liners about work or uh, about uh, wisdom or, or other things, very seldom do you have uh, an extended discussion the way that you have here. So that tells us something about the importance of the topic. An another thing is that this is an acrostic poem, and an acrostic poem is one where each stanza begins with a different letter of the alphabet. In this case, there are 22 verses, uh, and these 22 verses each begin with a consecutive letters of the Hebrew alphabet, which has 22 letters uh, in it. Now, what difference does that make? Well, it makes this difference. It tells us that this was done as a device to aid memory. Uh, Psalms 119 is another uh, text that is an acrostic poem in, uh, in the Bible. And, and if you've read Psalms 119, you know that to memorize that, you need help. Uh, so here in Psalms 31... We have an acrostic poem which tells us that this was expected to be memorized, that this is important enough that uh, this text should be committed to memory. Third thing that shows us the importance of this text is uh, that it's a very practical text. It's an intensely practical text. What could be more practical than making good, good marital choice for the rest of one's life? Notice that the text begins with a question. An excellent wife who can find. So it's a text about finding a wife. And then 
King Lemuel gives us a list, or his mother gave us a list of things to look for. It probably focuses on wife finding because it's written for a young prince. But it seems to me that the things that are said here are equally applicable to a young woman seeking a husband. Uh, that you would look for much the same qualities as what uh, Lemuel outlines in these verses. When he says an excellent wife, who can find? I, I don't think we ought to take that in the, in the sense that uh, they're scarcer than hen's teeth. You know, you can never find one. I don't think that's the idea at all. But I think the idea is that they're not, they're not found on every street corner either. And uh, you need to look to find the uh, wife of quality or the husband of quality. Uh, and also, uh, this is a, a, a text uh, where <clears throat> it's obviously speaking to those who have not yet chosen a husband or a wife. Now, in our series on marriage, we've been talking to people who are already married for the last four Sundays. Today, though, I'm talking to those of you who are not yet married. And uh, you may be 12 or 13 or 14, or you may be way beyond that. But if you're not married, I want you to listen to this text. And you might be thinking, well, I'm not interested in being married. Well, that's okay. Uh, but, you know, next week you might be interested. Uh, and you need to know how to go about finding uh, a proper uh, mate. So no matter how young you are and whether you're married or not, you need to think seriously about this text and the guidance that it gives. Before we look at those verses, though, I want us to look at Proverbs 20 and verse 25. Proverbs 25, 20, verse 25 says this, It is a snare to say rashly, it is holy, and to reflect only after making vows. It's a snare to say this is holy, but then to think about it, to reflect on it, only after you've made the vows. There's a lot in the Old Testament about the making of vows. The Old Testament says more than once, it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow you don't keep. Uh, and so we've got to be uh, thoughtful about the vows that we make. Now apply that to marriage. It's better not to take the marriage vows and to do so rashly, that is, without a lot of thought. Better to do, not, not to do so than to do so rashly and then think about whether or not that was such a good idea. What I think Proverbs twenty twenty five tells us in the context of marriage, is that we should think long and we should think hard about it. You should think about the person that you're committing your, your life to. And if you're uncertain about it, don't do it. If you see all kinds of red flags coming up, or even a few red flags coming up, stop and think. Stop and ask yourself whether this is or is not something that you can live with for the rest of your life. The time for considering the wisdom of your choice or husband or wife is before getting into the marriage, not after. You might say, well, but you can't always tell how it's going to be down the road, and that's true. You can't always tell, but there are indicators, and you can pay attention to those indicators, and sometimes there are warnings, those red flags, and you certainly need to pay attention to those. Also, Proverbs teaches us to appreciate a good thing when we find, when we find it. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 20 says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. And then another proverb says, House and wealth are inherited from fathers, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. 
In other words, if you found a good wife or you found a good husband, be grateful. Be thankful for that. Be appreciative of that. Recognize the gift that God has given to you. It's easy to find fault, but we need to appreciate what God has blessed us with. And then again, recognize that this text is universally applicable. You may be thinking, I'm not married, I don't plan to be, even if you're single and satisfied. You can never be certain about the future. So do give these verses some thought and know what to look for. If you're married already, appreciate the good husband, the good wife that you have. Try to be the kind of person that Lemuel's mom describes. So what does Proverbs 31 say that we ought to look for? What should you have in mind, according to Lemuel's mother? First of all, someone who fears the Lord. Chapter 31 and verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. There's two important points in that statement. One is, when you're seeking a husband and wife, don't focus on superficial things. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, Proverbs says. Now, I know when people are wanting to get married, looks do matter. You know, we can tell people all day long, looks don't matter. But you know that's not true. You know better than that. You know that looks matter. The point is they shouldn't matter too much. Uh, they shouldn't matter more so much that we are blinded by them uh, so that we don't see the character that they perhaps conceal. We need to be very thoughtful and very careful about that. Don't focus on superficial things. Everyone is concerned about how a prospective spouse looks, and extremes can be a red flag, but looks can be very, very deceiving. Now, it's been a long time since I looked at a People magazine. Last time I remember doing it, I was in the eye doctor's office, and there wasn't anything else there to read, and I had kind of a long wait, so I picked it up and started thumbing through it, and I decided that's the last time I'm going to read this magazine. Uh, I, was, I was shocked at how many pretty people were in that magazine. Boy, there's some pretty folks in there, you know. And, and I tell you, the men, I think, were prettier than the women. And they're just pretty people, pretty people in there. But then you start reading about them, and you know who some of them are, and you think, that's a horrible person. You know, that person is living a horrible life. That person is is self-indulgent. That person is egotistical. That person is shallow. That person is vain. And yet all those airbrushed looks can hide all of that. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And that's the second point about that, uh, that verse. Look for somebody who shares your faith. If you fear the Lord, don't get hooked up with somebody who doesn't. Uh, if you fear the Lord, look for someone else who fears the Lord, someone who, like you, fears the Lord. Now, notice fearing the Lord is not somebody who has some vague religious notions. That's not the idea at all. Fearing the Lord is somebody who shares the faith that you hold. If you fear the Lord and you know who Jesus is and you're uh, seeking to follow Christ, then you want to look for somebody that, that shares the convictions found in Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 6. That there, there's one body, and that there's one Lord, and there's one faith, and there's one baptism, and there's one God, and Father of us all. You, you want to find somebody who believes what you believe, not somebody who 
just sort of believe something. That's not fearing the Lord. What a Christian ought to look for in a suitable life partner is another Christian. It's what Paul calls not being unequally yoked. So look for someone who fears the Lord first of all. Secondly, look for someone you can trust. Look at Proverbs 31, verse 11. The very first thing said about the excellent wife. The first thing said about the excellent wife is that the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. He can trust her and he has no lack of gain because he does. Trust is one of the most fundamental building blocks of a good marriage. We've been talking about building a good marriage. You've got to have good material. And trust is one of the most important things that you can possibly have. But you might wonder, well, how do I know if I can trust so-and-so for life? How do I know whether or not that's, that's possible? How can I know, looking down the years, whether this is going to be a trustworthy person or not? Well, you can't always tell. But one thing is certain. If you can't trust them now, why would you think you can trust them then? You need to be careful about this. Watch out again for red flags. Does this person that you're interested in deliberately deceive you? Do you know that this person tells lies to you or to other people? Is this a person whose word can be trusted? Is this somebody who keeps things from you that they don't want you to know? You see, all those are signs of an untrustworthy per person. By all means, don't ignore them. Third thing, look for someone who is industrious, someone who isn't lazy. Verses 13 to 19 emphasize the excellent wife's industriousness. She's a worker. She's capable. Verse 27 says she does not eat the bread of idleness. And notice that there's more said about her industriousness than there is about anything else about her. That she works hard, that she's uh, capable and she's diligent. She seeks wool and flax and she works with willing hands. She provides food and clothing for her family. She does business deals. She considers a field and buys it. She plants a vineyard. You know, sometimes we have in, in our minds the idea of women in the ancient world and biblical times, you know, is just staying inside the house and grinding up flour to make bread. We just think that's all they did. Read this again. This is the ideal woman that is being described in Proverbs 31. Uh, she's capable of doing a lot of things, and she does do a lot of things. Uh, con uh, considers a field, plants a vineyard, and all of these kinds of things. It sounds like characteristics of a good husband as well, doesn't it? See, earlier Proverbs has warned us against a character called the sluggard. The sluggard is kind of the, uh, the funny guy in the book of Proverbs. The sluggard is the person who is so lazy that he puts his hand to the dish, but he's too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is so tied to his bed that he just turns on it like a door on a hinge. He just never gets up. The, the sluggard gets nothing done because he's always saying there's a lion in the road. Linda and I kind of have that as a joke because sometimes I'm a procrastinator. Uh, and I'll say, well, I, you know, I can't do this right now. And she'll say, oh, there's a lion out in the road. And there, you know, uh, there's a lion in the road. So he, he's always seeing a lion in the road. There's always some threat. There's always some reason why he can't do what he ought to do or why she can't do what she ought to do. Chapter 10, verse 26 says, like vinegar to the teeth 
and smoke to the eyes. So is the sluggard to those who send him. Frustrating, irritating. Now, if that's true in a work setting, you've sent a sluggard on an errand or something, and it turns out to be like vinegar to your teeth or like smoke in your eyes, can you imagine what it would be like being married to a sluggard? So watch out for signs of laziness. You may be, you may be infatuated with a charming sluggard, and you've got to be careful of that. Number four, look for someone who's kind. Chapter 31, verse 20. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Notice that those two verses describe both words of kindness and deeds of kindness. Speaking kindly, acting kindly, saying kind things, doing kind things. They're both important. Now, why is that so important? Well, if you're thinking about marrying a person who isn't kind to others, what makes you think they'll be kind to you? Why would you ever think that they would be kind to you? And who wants to live with someone who's not quiet, not kind? There's a, a red flag that I've seen so often that is ignored. Couples who date for an extended period of time and they argue all the time. They quarrel all the time fighting all the time, and then they want to get married. And I always think, is that what you want to do the rest of your life? And, and that's probably what's going to happen. You need to find somebody who's kind. You need to think twice about that. And then number five, look for someone whose behavior is acceptable. Chapter 31, verses 11 and 12, the heart of her husband trusts in her. She does him good and not harm. All the days of her life. Chapter 31, verse 23. Her husband is known in the gates, and he sits among the elders of the land. What's the point? Her behavior is good. Her behavior reflects well on him. If we were turning that around, his behavior would reflect well on her. He's respected because of her good behavior. Uh, and if she were not that way, then he would not have that kind of respect. We should listen well. If your potential mate's behavior is a constant source of embarrassment or frustration to you, stop and think. Do you want that all your life? Do you want that all of your life? If there are things that you find unacceptable, you better ask yourself if you're willing to live with that all your life. Often a prospective husband or wife will habitually do something like drink, use vulgar language, do drugs, behave rudely to other people, all kinds of things. It could be anything. Just stuff that's unacceptable, stuff that's embarrassing, stuff that makes you kind of cringe every time you introduce them to somebody that you know and that you care about. You know, did you know that usually people are on their best behavior before marriage, before marriage. And if that's their best behavior, what do you think is going to happen afterward? So do not consider uh, marrying someone whose behavior that you find unacceptable. Don't assume that once you say, I do, all that's going to change. Most of us have heard the fairy tale about the princess and the frog. It's kind of a nice little story. It's come down in a variety of, uh, of versions but the basic story remains the same. 
you've got this handsome young prince, and somehow he gets crosswise with a witch, and she puts a spell on him and turns him into a frog. And not only that, but there's a stipulation on it that he will be, remain a frog until he can convince a beautiful princess to kiss him. Now think about that. How many people do you know go around looking for a frog to kiss? All right. Particularly princesses. Okay. Princesses don't have to kiss frogs. All right. But it's a fairy tale. Uh, so the only way he can stop being a frog is if he can convince a beautiful princess to kiss him. And finally he meets a beautiful princess Somehow he persuades her to kiss him, and he becomes a handsome prince. Well, I think the moral of that story was supposed to be that uh, it's a sweet story about seeing the potential in somebody. All right, You see the potential, and you bring out the best in them. But let me tell you, folks, it's a fairy tale. And don't forget that. It is a fairy tale. If you find yourself attracted to a frog... Do not think for a moment that your kiss will transform him or transform her into the person that you want for husband or wife. Here's the rule. Expect to live with the person you marry. Expect to live with the person you marry. It's not fair and it's not wise to marry somebody thinking that you can change them into somebody else. That's not fair and it's not wise, and it's not realistic. It does happen, and I know you can point to examples where it has happened, but there are no guarantees. So think long and think hard and look for the right kind of person and don't settle for Mr. Good Enough or Miss Good Enough. Look for that excellent wife or that excellent husband, for someone who will be a blessing to you all of your life Somebody who will eventually help you make your way to heaven. That's what to look for. Thank you for being here today, thinking about these things. Uh, if you've come today not yet following Jesus, and you want to follow him today, you're all, that invitation is always open to you, and it is right now as we stand together and sing. Have you a heart?